0: Okay, coming up on the screen is uh, gonna be a meme. I don't know if you've seen this meme that's been sort of doing the rounds over the summer. Uh, It's not that good a quality of photo, but hopefully you can see what happens. It's a family photos in the sea, and uh, there's granny in the deck chair. And uh, a wave comes in, you're all so focused on the camera, making sure you're looking good at the camera that you don't notice as the wave comes in. Sadly, the wave goes out, and granny gets swept away by the wave. Now, I show you that photo because I think it is a picture, if you like, of what I fear has been happening for many people over the last 18 months. We've been so focused, not on the camera, but we've been focused on COVID, you know, on on the rules, on tests, on data, on which countries are on the green list, whatever it may be. We've been so focused on those things that we've lost, not granny, but we've lost God. Or perhaps to be more concrete, we've lost the idea that we live with God as the central reality of our lives. That has been swept away, having God at the centre of our lives, it has been swept away like granny as we've been so focused on what we've seen immediately in front of us. Now that's not for everyone, of course it's not. But for many of us, including many Christians, many of us, we have lost This idea that we live with God. God, he is the central reality in your life and in my life. You know, the Bible, it's fundamentally not a compendium of stories about you and me, but about God. And we certainly see that in the very first chapter of the whole Bible, Genesis 1, the creation of the world. God is mentioned 32 times. He is the dominant figure, not you or me. And it is a disaster if we just sort of let him be swept away. Now, whenever anybody looks at the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, immediately in our minds comes the whole sort of evolution-creation debate. And I want to say, actually, that is not that relevant. Genesis 1 is not some sort of scientific manual, but it is a piece of poetry with all the repetitions through the chapter. You know, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day, and there is evening, and there was morning the second day, and so on. It was good, it was good, it was good. Genesis 1 is poetry. It's not so much answering the how question and the when question, but rather it is answering the who question and the why questions. So it's not answering how was the world made. It's not answering when was it made, but it is answering who made the world and why was this world made. And first of all, as we think today, as we think, what does God think about this world? First of all, we see the origin of the world. We see the origin of the world. This is the, the who question. Who made the world? God did. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, God alone has no beginning. Everything else finds its origin in God. God made everything. And that shows you and me, it shows us the power of God. It shows us the power of God. What God says happens. That phrase that is repeated throughout the chapter, it's, and God said, da 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 da, da and it was so. And God said, da-da-da-da-da, and it was so. It was so, it was so. God is powerful, not us. He is the center of the universe, not us. It was one of the former US uh, presidents who used to take all his guests outside of the White House at night and he'd just go out there and totally silent, he'd look up and he'd just stare at the stars in total silence for about a minute and then he'd turn to his companion and he'd say, I think we're small enough now. Let's go to bed. And that is true. God being powerful, being the creator, it does drive us to humility. It reminds us that this world does not revolve around us, however much we'd like it to, even if we're president of the United States. But you know, the way I think that the origin of the world and the power of God, the way that it most impacts you and me, is that it shows us that life has a purpose. Life has a purpose. Jean-Paul Sartre declared with great honesty that if there is no God who made the world, then we cannot be made for a purpose. Richard Dawkins famously finishes one of his books. He says, the universe we observe has no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Dostoevsky once said that if there is no God, everything is permitted. You see, there are no universal rules. There's no ultimate right and wrong without God as the creator of the world. If there is no God, you and I, we are radically insignificant. It doesn't ultimately matter whether we live a good life or an evil life. In fact, who's to determine what is good, what is evil? You and I, we only have a purpose in life if there is a God who created you and me for a purpose. And so if you're here today... And you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. I want to say thank you so much for being here. It is wonderful to have you here. Uh, We really hope you feel so at home. I'd love you to keep coming back week on week, particularly in this sermon series, as we look at some of the big questions in life. But I guess you won't be surprised to hear that I do want to challenge the consistency of your worldview. Because deep down, I think all of us, whoever we are, we think we are here for a purpose, You and I, we don't act like there is no purpose in life, do we? And yet someone who says there is no God has to admit that their worldview should lead you directly to believing that there is no ultimate purpose in life. So that's the first thing, the origin of the world. Second thing I'd love us to think about is the order of the world, the order of the world. I don't know if you noticed, but the creation account, as Thelma read it, it's a really ordered account, isn't it? The first three days are all about separating, days one, two, and three. And then days four, five, and six are all about filling. And they sort of go together. So you get day one, that is separating light from darkness. That goes with day four, filling the sky with light, with the sun, with the moon, with the stars. You've got day two, separating the sea and the sky. And then day five, that is filling the sea and the sky with sea creatures, with birds. You've got day three, separating the sea and the land. And then day six, filling the land with animals, with human beings. See, there is amazing order to this world. And that order is what makes science possible. Some people say, you know, that the more that, that science helps us to understand the world, the less there is a need for God to exist. But that is not true. The order, the organisation, the explainability of this world that science shows us, it doesn't show us the absence of God. No, far from it. It shows us the goodness of God. It shows us that God is good that God is perfect and that God has set up this world in an ordered way so that it works, so that it is beautiful. At the end of each day of creation, what does it say? And God saw that it was good. God is good and his creation is good. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I find it fascinating. If you look at some of the programs, you know, like Planet Earth on the BBC, there's Sir David Attenborough, and what are the kind of things he says? He, he often talks about the, the miracle of life, or the, or the majestic and glorious plumage of a bird, or, or being awestruck at the majesty of a landscape, or whatever it might be. Now, now David Attenborough, he is an agnostic verging on atheist. And yet, what does he do to describe this good creation? He often reaches for decidedly religious words. Awe, glory, majesty, miracle. As Christians, we are to take pleasure from this world that God has created. Life, it is to be enjoyed. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 4. He says, everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. You see, as Christians, we're not just interested in, you know, we're just spiritual things. That's all we're interested in. No, we are interested in physical matters too, be it the sound of a beautiful choir, or the sight of a beautiful mountain, or the smells of a beautiful barbecue next Sunday, or the the joys of a beautiful boat trip down the Thames. Uh, Some people might say, you know, what on earth is a church doing having a boat party? I mean, what has that got to do with Jesus? Maybe you've asked that. You know, at the boat party, I pray that the 300 of us going, that we enjoy it, that we delight in the sights as we travel down the Thames, that we have a good conversation, that we build beautiful friendships, that we have a drink, whether alcoholic or non-alcoholic, that we throw some moves on the silent disco dance floor. Um, Hopefully, there'll be better ones than Michael Gove did in that nightclub, if you saw that film. Um, Now, obviously, I hope that we are distinct as Christians, you know, as we reflect God to each other and to any friends, perhaps, who are coming who aren't Christians, and to those people who work on the boat. I hope that we are distinct and that we don't get drunk, that we honour one another, that we look out for those who don't know many people, all those things. But life is to be enjoyed in this good, ordered world that God has created. But here's the thing, We we don't worship creation. We don't worship creation, we don't worship the physical, and nor do we worship created things, we don't worship the material. In that sense, uh, people that can seem the very opposite of each other, and I'm going to caricature here, so please don't have me for this, but, but I'm caricaturing, but your Extinction Rebellion protester on the streets of the city, and your bloated sort of five-car-owning bling-bling CEO in his plush offices in the city, both of them are actually in danger of doing exactly the same thing. Both of them are in danger of worshipping something other than their creator. Richard North, writing in the Independent newspaper, he wrote this. He said, we're all falling in love with the environment in lieu of falling out of love with God. You see, it is right to be concerned about the environmental situation that we're in. Please let us be. But some people get it wrong when they worship creation rather than the creator. Just as some other people worship created things, money, possessions, football, whatever it might be, rather than the creator. And what you and I, what we discover, what we discover is that when we do actually worship the creator, it is then that most of all we discover the pleasure and enjoyment of life. Jesus, what did he say? He said, I have come that you may have life, life in all its fullness. That is what he brings as we worship him, our creator. So the origin of the world, the order of the world, and then finally, the oversight of the world. See, the pinnacle of the whole creation account is us, humans. Just look for a moment at what it says in verse 26. It says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, as the pinnacle of creation, us humans, we are the ones with oversight of how things go in this world. And we're going to look at that more next week. But just for the moment, I'd love you just to see what that verse up there, what it says about who God is. Just look at what it says. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Do you see there? There is the plurality within the Godhead. God doesn't say there. He doesn't say, let me make mankind in my image. He says, let us make mankind in our image. And this shows us that God is relational. In fact, if you go back to the very start, the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1 that we heard read, what do we have? Who's there at the right of the start? Verse 1, in the beginning, God. Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said, and it is the Word of God. God said, and just think forward to John chapter 1. We hear it every Christmas time. What does John say as he's echoing the beginning of of Genesis 1? John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The Word is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So right there in the first three verses of the entire Bible, what do you have? You have all three members of the Trinity. Verse 1, the Father. Verse 2, the Spirit. Verse 3, the Son. And that is the thing that is unique about Christianity. You see, if God is just unipersonal, if God is just one, then power is primary. Power comes before love. If God is just one, then God acts first in power to create this world. And then, subsequently, he starts loving his creation. So if God is just unipersonal, power is primary. Love is just secondary. But if God is Trinity, as we believe, if God is three in one, then it is the other way around. Love comes before power. Because before anything at all was created, before anything was created, there is God and God is love. The three members of the Trinity, they are there in perfect loving relationship with each other. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Spirit, and so on. Love is primary. And then power is secondary. And that is why the Christian worldview is that relationships are key. Because loving relationships is at the very heart of God the Trinity. And so life is all about relationship. A while ago now, I, I remember helping on an, an Alpha group. And um, it was uh, the first uh, session of the Alpha course. And I remember it so well. And uh, in this group, uh, there were a group of us. And there was a guy there on this in this Alpha group called Mark who... He obviously did not want to be there. It looked like he wanted to be at the dentist rather than being at Alpha. He did not want to be there. I think he'd been brought by his girlfriend or something like that. And anyway, we went through the first evening. If, you, if you've never done Alpha, Alpha, there's a meal. Uh, then there's a talk about the big questions of life and the claims of Christianity. And then there's a discussion time in a group. And we were there in this group. And we sort of had the initial first evening sort of chat, getting to know you kind of questions. And then we got on to talking about some big questions. And we started talking about what people thought was the purpose of life. And lots of different people in the group offered their varying and sometimes very interesting answers as to what they thought was the purpose of life. And all the while, I was silent. I didn't offer my view. And Mark was silent. He didn't offer his view. And then we got to the end of the evening, time to finish, people started dispersing. And Mark comes up to me as a sort of vicar there. And he says, Jago, what do you think? What is the purpose of life? And there I was uh, with about a sort of 15, 20-second window to try and make an impression on the guy who preferred to be at the dentist than Alpha. And this is what I said to him. I said, Mark, the purpose of life is all about relationships. It's about relationships with God, relationships with each other, and relationships with ourselves. And it is only having a good, restored relationship with God made possible only because of Jesus, Jesus who came to this world and who died on the cross for us. It's only through having a good, restored relationship with God that then helps us have good relationships with other people and good relationship with ourselves. And Mark thanked me for my answer and then left. And he never, ever came back to Alpha ever again. (laughs) And I've often wondered since, I've wondered... Was that the best answer to give him? You know, was there something I could have said that would have enticed him to come back to Alpha on the second week? But you know, as I've reflected over the years since, I've reckoned I wouldn't change my answer at all. I wouldn't change my answer because life is all about relationship. Love, relationships, is at the very heart of God. You see, at the start, I talked about that Genesis 1, it it, it gives us the answer to the who question, God created the world, but it also gives us the answer to the why question. Why was this world created? And the answer is because of love. Because of love. Because of loving relationships. That is what this world is all about. Now, as I finish... I want to ask you a question if you know what the first verse in the Old Testament is that is quoted in the New Testament. The first verse of the Old Testament that is quoted in the New Testament is Genesis 1, verse 3. And Paul quotes it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And up on the screen is going to come 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Look what he says. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness... Genesis 1 verse three, "Made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ." You see, because of Jesus, what God has done for creation, he can do for you and for me. He can make light shine out of our darkness. And every single one of us here, if we're honest, there is darkness in us. There's darkness in our hearts. There's darkness in our lives because of our sin, because of the sin of other people. There will be darkness in our relationships, in our relationships up to God, out to others, down to this creation, even in with ourselves. There'll be darkness, we'll all know it. We'll know all these areas where things are not as we long them to be in our lives. There's darkness. But for every single one of us, whoever we are, the challenge that is gnawing away at our hearts, the challenge is how do we deal with this darkness that is within us? And here's the answer. God says to you, even this morning, he says as we come afresh, To Jesus Christ, he can make light shine out of the darkness in our hearts as he gives us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What God has done for creation because of Jesus, he can do for you. He can shine light. Into your darkness.